Hiya, pal. Got an idea. All right, mate, go on. I think we need to evolve the podcast. All right, what you got in mind? Well, why don't we just start recording all the chats we have when we're talking about leadership? Okay, what are we going to call it? Sense makers. Sense makers. Love it. And have we got a backer? Of course we have. Tsunami Sport. Quality. When are we starting? Now, get this end round and I'll put kettle on. Top man, I'll be round in five. Mike Gilmore is an experienced leader, author, and speaker with a passion for human connections. Throughout his 17 years across education and corporate sectors, he has demonstrated the ability to develop high-functioning teams and increase stakeholder satisfaction. Mike is currently the deputy head teacher at GEMS World Academy, Singapore, and a massive believer in the power of education to positively shape a society. Mike is passionate about seeing people achieve their potential in life and work collaboratively to achieve shared success. He has a detailed understanding of human relationships and how aspects like communication, connection and rapport contribute to both personal and corporate success. So Mike, welcome to the show and tell us about your inspiration for your book, The Power of Rapport. Well, thanks very much, guys. Uh, It's it's really good to be with you. I heard a bit about this podcast, so uh, good to have the opportunity just to, (coughs) excuse me, just to join you. So yes, I, uh, I did write The Power of Rapport and uh, I need to qualify that first of all by saying that I have a new respect for authors out there um, because this was a really a journey for me and a bit of a passion project uh, and something I learned so much through as I, as I went through the journey. But um, you know, as I say in my book in the first few chapters, I, uh, I've always had this passion for human connections and really watching how people have interacted and how that then influences them, uh, the people around them and in their community and society. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it was a, a journey for sure to write the book um, and something that really just grew out of a passion that, uh, that I've always had. So great to be with you and I'm looking forward to just chatting a bit more about the book and some of my experiences in education and leadership. And uh, hopefully it can be an encouragement to some people out there. Yeah, love the fact it was a passion project, Mike. Love that. Mine, mine was skateboarding. I tried to learn to skateboard over, <laughs> over the Christmas break. A bit different from writing a book. Um, tell us a bit more about rapport. What is it? What's it all about? Well, you know, as human beings, uh, I really believe we're wired for connection, right? And, and many people, Brené Brown, you know, and so many people in the past have always spoken about that, you know, that as human beings, we are always more effective in what we're doing when we're together with people when we connected and I think as as educators in particular we know that you know that's not news to us when we're in the classroom we know when we've got a connection with our students or with our colleagues things will work better the, the student experience is better the working experience is better so it really boils down to connections and how we connect with one another and I suppose you know as I've just been a lifelong learner in this area of rapport and relationships and by no means am an expert um, I, I've sort of realized more and more that the world defines people into either relational or non-relational. So you often hear it said, oh, that, that person's just relational. You know, they, they connect really easily with other people. And for other people, they, they're not really, or they're not deemed as relational as others. 
Um, but I choose to challenge that, that status or that uh, perspective because I believe rapport or building connections is actually a skill that you have. And it's a skill just like any other skill that you can develop and acquire. And so that was really the, the, the foundation of my book was how can you be intentional about going about building connections with people and building rapport? Because it's an intentional act rather than something that just happens by default. Now, sure, some people it'll happen easily. Other people have to work a little bit more. But if we boil it down, it's really to that emotional connection that we have with another human being, you know, and I think we've all experienced that, right? We, we, we've just got a good connection. You can almost just tell what the other person's going to do or how they're feeling. Um, and so it's, I, I say in the book as well, it's more than just being friendly. You know, being friendly is great. You know, we, we have to be friendly and, and nice to each other. I think that's, that's at, a, at a surface level important for rapport. Um, but really, it goes a lot deeper than that. It's uh, it's an emotional connection. Yeah, I, I've got that, Mike. There, you, you quoted that rapport is a deep emotional connection and understanding between two people. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's is it just a tool to get what you want as a leader, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to challenge it, but I've just I'm intrigued by it. I think I think it can be absolutely right and. You know, one of the chapters later on in the book, when I speak about um, strategies to build rapport, is authenticity. Because let's be honest, there's nothing worse than someone who's faking trying to be nice to you, and and you just know they they're just being nice because they want to get their way or they want you to do something. Right? They're trying to buddy you up. Um, so you know, can you cause someone to you know to perform better, to work more effectively in a team, and and ultimately achieve more? through building rapport with them? Absolutely. Um, but really the authenticity is the key bit. You know, how, why are you building rapport? Do you actually genuinely care for that person? And that's why you're building the deep connection with them? Or is it because your motive is, is slightly off and you, you're doing it for selfish gain? So, so look, I, I think it's, um, if you look at leaders through, throughout history, I think the effective leaders have been the leaders who've been able to manipulate people into doing what they they want them to do um so so no doubt it, it is a tool um as a school leader i know that our school culture is nowhere near perfect or effective if we aren't building connections with each other and so yeah as a school leader i want our students to have an amazing experience i want our school culture to be great i want everyone to succeed and to do that I want to build a culture of connection and a culture of rapport. So, so I suppose it's, yes, it does get me what I want, but it's for the greater good of everyone. You've already recognized, Mike, that there are some people that just appear friendly, that are relational, you know, that are a social, whether it's a social butterfly or just a social guru of getting to know people and, and, and people's uh, developing people's trust. How do you begin to develop that rapport without that rapport being developed in a way that, seems contrived and, and seems a little bit too deliberate that'll get people's barriers up won't it what, what are the tips and tricks of that yeah absolutely because the minute it's not authentic and, and people can sense or see that you're trying to do something because like we said before you want them to get something or, or for any other means it's it's actually repulsive so so what i always feel the the starting blocks is to just build simple connections right and it's really more about what you are doing than what the other person is doing 
you see, when we're intentional about building rapport, we're more observant, right? So we, we, we're aware about even how our body is, is operating. So what is my body language communicating to people? Because that's key, right, um, in building a connection. Um, you know, the conversations that I have every day with people, let's think about the manner I'm doing it. You know, you know am I doing it in a manner or way that's going to establish a connection? Or am I just simply dictating a, a task that is required to be done? So yeah, I believe every single interaction is a chance to either you know, build someone up and, and fill up that sort of uh, sieve that I speak about in the book, you know, or it's an opportunity to just sort of break it down and it's a missed opportunity. So, so are we intentional about all our interactions every single day, seeing them more than just delivering content or conversation, but actually as an opportunity to build a connection with someone? And so taking a greater interest in people is important, identifying you know, what's happening in their lives, um, and then really showing genuine interest in that that you're interested in them as a person, as opposed to just them as a title or as, a, as an employee. Um, so it's small actions, I really feel. Small, deliberate and intentional actions every single day uh, or every week, every few days. That's just going to help create that culture and build those emotional connections. About, about knowing the people that you work with and, and knowing the people that you're, you're interacting with day in, day out. What and I really understand what you're feeling there about that thought of, well, you know, is this superficial and surface level or is this actually somebody who really cares? What, what are the key things that, that leaders and that colleagues can do to, to show that? We know actions speak louder than words. So what, what are the things that, that leaders and, and colleagues can do to really show that this isn't a contrived um, message? This, this is authentic and this is people caring. What, what are the key factors in that? So I would say the most important factor is consistency, because if you are, if you've established a relationship with someone and worked with them for a period of time, they'll very quickly be able to identify if your, um, you know, relationship and connection with them is authentic or not. You know, if, if, if someone is truly intentional about building rapport, that's going to be consistent as they go along. If someone is just looking for a quick fix or a quick job to be done, you know, there might be the quick sweet talk, little dangle the carrot to get you to do something. Um, but then it won't be consistently demonstrated through how they're, they're interacting and operating. So, so think about it if they are, um, you, you know, if you think about all the different factors that go into building rapport, right? You're, you're, you're from your simple conversations to more intentional acts about getting people to work together um, and build together to how you carry yourself in terms of your spoken, um, verbal and nonverbal communication. Um, all of those things, you know, really, really build the picture uh, about how people trust you or not. Um, you know, I, I speak a little bit in the book about trust, you know, and, and we all know um, that the key to trust is relationships and having a connection with people. Um, but one of the theories we speak about the book is redu uh, reducing the, the, the lack of trust or the uncertainty. It's called uncertainty reduction theory. Uh, theory. Now, it's quite a, a disputed theory, but really, in essence, the theory speaks about every time you meet someone, your brain is working hard to reduce your uncertainty level in this other person and really figure out if they are trustworthy or not. And if we approach life that way, so every person we meet, if we have the knowledge that that person in their subconscious, they are very quickly figuring out through your appearance, through how you communicate, through how you operate, 
if you can be trusted or not, then surely if we know that, well, we can then change the way that we interact so that we can reduce that uncertainty even faster for them and be, begin to build a connection. So it's about breaking down those walls. But I, I think being authentic is absolutely key. Um, and I think also sometimes we, we try too hard, you know, and, and that also comes off a little bit repulsive for people when we are, we, we, we're too happy, you know, and, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic here, right? And then all of a sudden, hey, the world's going wonderful and everything's great. You know, and people look at you and go, geez, this guy's not even on this planet, man. What's wrong with this guy? So it has to be authentic. And, and like I said, the, the connection is not about simply always being happy, because if you are happy every single day of your life, you're not a human being. You know, yes, we can choose, you know, hey, you know, I'm not having a great day today. Yeah, but I'm going to choose to be positive and move on. And that's good. But uh, but being able to be vulnerable and, and show people, you know, hey, yeah, today's today's not going well. Um, but but use that as a tool to still be honest with people and build a connection. Um, it, it's a real vital tool. So. Sorry, there was a lot in that answer. That's just... <laughs> <laughs> no, great. It's, it's great listening, Mike. I, I just want to come back to the, that theory you're talking about. So when when your, your mum and dad and your grandpas and all sorts talk about first impressions last, they're right, aren't they? Yeah, exactly right. And and I think, you know, like I said, this theory has been disputed quite a bit. But, but if we simplify it and break it down, it's simple human nature. You know, no matter who you meet, you are figuring things out subconsciously your brain's working exceptionally hard to put them in a box right and to say okay this is someone i'm going to trust this is someone i'm going to work with this is someone i'm avoiding uh, how do i get out of this conversation as soon as possible you know um but but knowing that is so important because then that like i said changes the way we um approach new you know um conversations or, or new interactions with people so, um, yeah, so it, it's really important. I say several times in the book that awareness leads to regulation. And that's a statement that I really believe in, because um, unless we have an awareness of, first of all, our own um, actions and, and how we interact with people, we can't modify them um, and regulate them in order to use them to build a connection or rapport with others. So, so take your body language, for example. Now, um, they say statistics right about 60 percent of your daily communication is non-verbal so coming through um your, your 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 body right through your movements your facial expressions how you carry yourself so if that's the case if 60 percent of your your communication on a daily basis is non-verbal why do we not dedicate time to you know really understanding our bodies and seeing how we can use our bodies to communicate the message we want um, we spend a lot of time working on our verbal communication, uh, and that's important. Um, but but it's it's important as well. You know, if you're walking down the corridor, and uh, and you you're carrying yourself in a manner that's stressed out, hunched shoulders, you know, face looking down, um, th that's telling people you're not having a great day, and and, and they in their minds are going to form an impression. Now, I'm not saying you got to fake it. All right. But but it's just an awareness that, OK, well, how am I going to carry myself when I walk? You know, what, what's it going to, how am I going to stand when I'm talking to somebody? Am I going to stand in a position that's open uh, or am I going to be all you know folded up and, and, and you know, <laughs> pretty angry look at my face? You know, those things are so, so important and they are small, simple actions. 
like I said, you, you don't want to fake it. So, so it has to be authentic, but it's more just about having an awareness and, and then being able to make those small little changes as and when you can. As, as we, we make say, new... Oh, sorry, Lois. God, um, as we make new relationships, Mike, is there a, a default setting for how you should approach those relationships? So you talked a lot about, you know, first impressions count within those first few seconds, few minutes, you're deciding whether this is going to be a friend, a colleague, somebody to get away from. Is it within us to have a default setting for that? Should we go into that initial conversation and, you know, just, just as human beings um, trying to be kind, should we go into that conversation being very open and just assuming trust? Should we go into that conversation with positive intentions? What's the default? Is there one? And, and what, what would that default position be? That's a great question. And I would say no, there isn't a default in terms of, you know, like a formula is to what you're going to follow. Um, in, in terms of your humanistic approach, in terms of being kind, um, you know, listening more than you're going to speak, you know, things like that. I think absolutely those are, are across the board. But I wouldn't say that there's a formula that you would use, you know, with everyone you meet your interactions in, in your work setting are going to be very different to someone you meet around the barbecue, you know, at a friend's house. So, so I think it's just being um, aware of the situation, but just being open as well. So when we have that awareness, as we, as we, you know, let's say we, we in that situation, we've met a new colleague, right? Um, our awareness and our approach, even in our thinking is, okay, well, you know, I'm going to get to meet this person, but I'm going to build a connection with them. So even in your thinking, it's not just, oh, you know, hey, here's our new colleague, he's flown in from wherever. Um, you're beginning to be intentional. So, hey, tell me a little bit more about yourself. Okay. And then looking to identify connections. That's really the, the, the foundation of the building block of rapport is those simple connections. So that's why you would see if you had to walk into a staff room, let's use a school, an international school, for example, right? You know, the, the people who are from the same country will migrate to each other more often than not, right? Now, that's not because they, they're just wanting to do that. It's because they've got at a very foundational level, a connection with other people that leads them to feel safe. Now, they might be completely different people, but their connection is they're South African or they're from the US or wherever. So, so knowing that um, and, and then looking, seeking out those sort of immediate connections is important. And I think that's a very quick way that you can build a connection with someone upon which you can build. Um, because if you think about someone who's, uh, let's say I'll take it from South Africa, where I'm from, Cape Town. So if I meet someone for the first time uh, who's from Cape Town as well, immediately for me, there's an emotional connection to where I grew up. Same thing for that person, right? So immediately on an emotional level, we've got a connection, all right? And we'll, you know, might even talk about the same places. He might have gone or she might have gone to similar school to where I went to or university. So there's an emotional connection there that goes deeper than the surface level conversation. Um, and then we can build a relationship upon that. And then the rapport grows from that. It's, it's not impossible, but it's very hard to build rapport when there's simply no connection, when someone is completely removed from you. And I think you can just see that it's, it's human nature. So, yeah, so that's um, how I would approach it. So finding common ground is high up on that list. Uh, yeah, it's at the top, really, um, because you can't go any deeper, you, you know, at uh, on a first encounter. So, so 
from your side, what you're going to be doing is seeking out those commonalities. But then you, what you're also going to be doing is being aware of how you are portraying yourself. You know, how are you coming across? Are you coming across as someone who is open to build connections uh, in the way you communicate, um, both verbally and non-verbally? Are those, are those, you know, it's, uh, are those things coming out? Or are you pretty closed up, really just, you know, you're more interested in the barbecue than the person standing around it. <laughs> it I'm just going to take this back a, a little bit, Mike. I'm, I'm interested in, there's all sorts of exit points here, but basically we're wired up to have a fight or flight, aren't we? Just evolutionary. So when we have them first encounters, we either want to get in there and we're interested because they might help us in our instincts, or you might want to get away because they might be a threat. Yeah. You then talk about, regulation so how important is emotional intelligence in this whole process it's huge and i speak about it in the book you know um it's understanding or being able to put yourself in the other person's shoes really is the foundation of emotional intelligence and being able to perceive their emotional state and then react to that um that's that's absolutely critical because that is also when we establish the deep connection with people it's, it's when they're going through the crisis in their life and, and you can, through not, not a massive action, but often just a simple word of encouragement or something small, that is when you can build that connection that's, that's long-lasting. So, yeah, so being able to um, just perceive somebody else's emotional state through how they're appearing, you know, through how they're speaking is, is absolutely critical. And there's a few exercises and things that I speak about in the book to just help you understand how your emotions uh, affect your body, right? Because if we can't understand it, how are we going to expect someone else to? So simple things like thinking about uh, either a traumatic or a, a great time in your life that's, that, that's, that's deep-rooted or deep-seated in you. And then, then thinking and just reflecting upon what that feels like physically in your body, because there's always a physical manifestation to an emotional uh, response or state. So, so what does that feel like? And then really just getting comfortable with your own emotions is so critical um, because if you can't be comfortable with your own emotions and sort of know right now, okay, what emotional state am I in? How are you going to perceive somebody else's emotional state, right? And then respond to them. So, so look, I'm, I'm by no means a, an expert. Um, you know, guys like Daniel Goleman and that are, are real experts in this field. Um, but, but I'm learning and I'm growing that that's, that's such a key part of building re relationships and rapport. It, it's a key part of leading. It's a key part of being successful in life. Um, just having that EQ uh, to be able to perceive where other people are and then respond appropriately to that. Yeah, that, that Sorry, sense. I was laughing halfway through that because I'm, I'm going to come back to EQ in a minute, but it, <laughs> it reminds me and resonates with us and everyone's experienced these, those awkward, horrible first dates that you have. <laughs> <laughs> Where you're clambering sometimes, you're clambering to try and find something to talk about yeah. or some kind of connection. There's and, no it's, and it's not there and you're thinking, I just need to get out of here. And, and Alan talking about <laughs> fight or flight brings that home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> on, the, um, on the EQ side of things, how important, you know, I'm, I'm doing a, a coach around, uh, sorry, a course around um, executive coaching at the minute, which I'm really enjoying. And one of the, the real key parts of that, which personally I find it quite challenging, other than the listening, which I always find challenging, is... Um, <laughs> is this idea of not becoming emotionally attached, not, not listening and, and empathizing enough to, 
to pull yourself into the issue and become part of the issue, but actually to, to be with and alongside somebody and support them without that emotional attachment. As a, as a person that values empathy, how do you empathize without being pulled in emotionally? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question. So here's, here's my approach, right? You know, in, in life, in, in the corporate world, even in school sometimes, we, we are told to remove emotions, right? Don't let your emotions get in the way. They'll cloud your judgment, right? Don't, don't do that. You're too emotional. You're not going to make a right decision. Um, but I actually think our emotions are absolutely critical to us making effective decisions because they are going to, we, we're going to perceive things through our emotions and through our intuition way more than what we're going to cognitively, you know, see or, or feel or understand. So, so understanding that's absolutely critical, that we, we should not separate our emotions. What we need is the skills to be able to regulate our emotions, right? So that we as human beings have the, the power, which we do, to be able to control our own emotional state. So, so think about it. I'm sure you've experienced it. You, you could meet someone and they are something terrible has gone wrong. And, and they, they, their emotions are just all over the show, but like a roller coaster, right? All over the show, completely unregulated emotions. And, and you kind of don't know what you're going to get with them. One day, you, you could get someone who's, who's okay. The next day, it's, it's all over the show because that person hasn't got the ability and, and it's not easy. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm no expert on this, but they haven't, you know, been able to regulate their emotional state. So I feel what's, what the approach should be to is to actually understand what emotional state you are in very, very deeply, right? So right now, I need to take some simple ones, okay? Right, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling sad, right? Something's happened in my life, I'm feeling sad, right? Now, is that going to affect the way that I carry myself for the rest of the day? Is that going to affect all of my interactions, all of my, um, you know, work that I go about on a daily basis? Or... Am I able to understand that, acknowledge it, absolutely, and then be able to regulate my actions around that so that I can still carry on with a productive day, I can still build connections, by no means denying the, the emotion that I'm feeling, but yet I've got control over it, and I'm not being dictated to by my emotions, I'm in control of my emotions. So, so I think that's more powerful and that's something definitely I've been working on rather than, than trying to separate your emotions. Because as a human being, I, I don't think I've seen someone who's been successful in separating their emotions from uh, a successful decision or a period of life or dealing with a, whatever it might be um, on a consistent basis. You know, I think if you look at a, in a doctor or a surgeon in the ER uh, room, okay, there's an element where they have to remove themselves from the situation. Um, is that consistent? Is that sustainable long-term? I, I disagree. I think you can't be. So, uh, so it's, it's almost actually harnessing the power of your emotions as opposed to trying to separate them and, and, and keep them to one side. So the trick is almost being aware that the emotions will come and, and, and having an appropriate response and, and being ready for that. Yeah. And, and knowing that your emotions are powerful, right? And, and emotions aren't bad. So, so if you're feeling angry, if you're feeling sad, if you're feeling joyful, whatever it might be, you know, th those are great emotions. And, and every minute of the day, you're experiencing an emotion. Um, but just having the, the understanding of what emotion you're experiencing, what that feels like in your body, and then, right, I, I now I know what it is, right? How am I going to respond? And what's my day going to look like? So, 
so that if something does you know go wrong and I'm, I'm not in a good space emotionally the day's not a write-off right now now please don't get me wrong you know i'm not i'm not saying we diminish the emotion at all because that's important you know if, if things go wrong in life and, and you're sad you're down you're depressed you have anxiety that that's absolutely legitimate um, but it's it's just about acknowledging that and then responding or regulating you know your behavior in a manner that your emotions don't dictate how you behave, but really you have the power and authority over your emotions. We could start to lean this towards um, where rapport has broken down or where, where rapport for, for some reason or another, whether it's the subject of a conversation or a relationship has started to st- turn sour. How, 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 how does that happen in terms of rapport? And what are the steps that you might want to take to start to bring that relationship around? How do you start to repair those relationships, I think, is my question. Yeah, it's another great question. So, so here's what I think, right? And I, I speak about in the book. Uh, rapport is like a sieve, right? Or colander, right? So imagine that. And every day you're pouring sand into it. And it's just leaking out. Every single day it's just leaking out. It's quite slowly, but it's leaking out. And, and when it hits rock bottom and it's completely empty, to try and fill it up again, man, you need a you need a bucket of sand, right? To try and fill it up, you need you need an intervention. You need something huge to try and do something. But if you're just filling up that that sieve colander every single day with a, a conversation here, a touch point there, a little bit of an encouragement, um, you know that's going to maintain that full level within that sieve, and and then you you really have got rapport with someone if we can picture it that way. So as a leader, right? I've, and as I'm sure you guys as well, you know, at times you have to make tough decisions and and people don't always like those decisions. And that goes with the territory. But if you have a connection and rapport established with someone, those sort of daily operational um, challenges that you might face, they are safeguarded by the rapport that you have with that person. And, and, And often people will see beyond the circumstance because they know you, they've got a connection with you and they, they, they know you've got their best interests at heart. But if there's no rapport, if that, if that thing's completely empty and then you have to have the tough conversation with someone, that, that's where you see it completely break down um, because there's no emotional connection. So there's no trust in what you're doing. And that's often what leads to things breaking down, often irreparably. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the goal as a leader or anyone who really wants to be successful in this field is to make sure that you are having touch points with all of the people in your immediate community regularly, just to keep that connection burning. Um, and then when things do go wrong, more often than not, they can be smoothed over because you've got a connection with them. Now, you speak about what you, you can do um, I would say if things have broken down fundamentally, I think you go back to square one and, and you, you simply start establishing a connection again, being intentional, identifying commonalities, and then just working slowly to build that trust back. But it's way easier to just have regular touch points every single day than allow that relationship to degenerate completely till it's there's no momentum in it and you have to rebuild that momentum. So it's like a flywheel, you can imagine. Uh, those relationships, they have momentum. And once that momentum's going, that flywheel's spinning, right? Even if it has to slow down slightly, it's still going to spin. But if it stops and you have to regenerate that momentum again, that, that takes a lot of intervention and a lot of, a lot of work. Um, it's a very interesting one, Mike. I, I want to flip it the other way here. And some leaders might prefer 
to have tough conversations with people they don't know. And they would find it harder to have those tougher conversations with people they've got a rapport with because mm. there's that personal connection. They don't want the emotion involved. How, yeah. how do you think that would play out? So someone who is having to do a, a tough conversation with someone they know really well. It's always easier to do with someone you don't know, right? <laughs> because you haven't got that connection with them, right? Um, but I think if you're working in a school setting, you're going to know everyone and, and you're going to, you should have a connection with everyone and it, it will vary, right? You're not going to have a, you know, amazing connection with all your staff members, but a, a fundamental connection is important. Um, I think it comes down to the leader actually and just knowing that that's your job, um, that, that you have to have the tough conversations. However, the manner in which you have them is the key to success. And even through a tough conversation, you can actually build rapport through doing it in the right way. Um, but but look, tough conversations are called tough conversations for a reason, right? Because they're not easy, they're tough. Um, and yeah, I would argue that it probably is harder for from your perspective to have the conversation with the, the person who you have rapport with. For the person receiving the message, it's easier for them if they have a connection with you. Um, because they they would understand you and they would understand why this is happening and and there would be a if anything a slightly softer landing if you met someone out of the blue and you have a tough conversation with them they don't know who you are they don't trust you and now you're hammering them with something you know, you know that that could be detrimental for their perspective so I, I think the spotlight's on the leader who's having that tough conversation to to realize it's part of the job um, and really to to rise beyond that Give us some examples, Mike, of some of those check-ins you talk about. I like that colander analogy. And I, I sort of um, thought one there, of you're almost spinning plates. You, you're going around to, to just keep something spinning and keep the rapport going with one person before you run back to the start of the line and, and, and you go again. Yeah. What, what are some things, what are some practical tips that people can do to, to really see that and, and to, to have a go at applying that in real yeah. life? So <laughs> before I, I share what I do, um, I just want to re-emphasize the importance of authenticity. So it's not a case of, you know, a checkbox, you know, oh, I've got to go and see so-and-so and check him off, you know, because that, that's not authentic. It really has to come from a, a place of, of genuine care and, and genuine desire. Um, but then we can be intentional about it. So, so what I do is I like to connect, um, even if it's a simple conversation, um, with all of our faculty members, students, obviously where possible, every day, every few days, right? Now that's, you know, the faculty of, I think it's 86 or 90 people, students, 550 students in our, in our primary school, you can't do that, right? But practical things, what I would do is um, just putting yourself physically in a, in a place where you can interact with people. So basically get out your office um, and, and into, you know, whether it's before school, after school, walking down the hallways, dropping in to say hi, um, someone you haven't connected with in a while, I would walk to their classroom, drop in, just say, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? You were off sick the last couple of days. How are you feeling? Um, small things like that um, are real practical strategies. What I also used to do is, is think quite strategically, right? Who have I not just touched base with in a long time? And I wouldn't make a list or anything, but I just think about it. And like, you know what? That, that person, I haven't really just connected with them in a while. Let me just pop over and just say hi, see how they're doing. And it's that small little touch point. Uh, another practical strategy is also how you communicate. Um, you, you know, via email, 
you know, there, there are a million emails flying around, um, especially in a school context, internally and externally. But a simple response and an acknowledgement that, that was, hey, that was a well-crafted email. Thanks for writing that to that parent who I was BCC'd on. Um, so th those small, simple actions showing people you care and you actually take an interest in what they have done um, authentically, those are small little strategies that I often use. Um, but ultimately, you just want to put yourself in a position where you can be around people. You know, we, um, when, when at our school, uh, when we started, uh, we, it looked, Amazing school, don't get me wrong. A huge campus, world-class campus. Start of the school, we had you know, all these amazing educators come in, new leaders, new curriculum, and then they said, okay, off you go, uh, run a good school. You know, so, so it was like a, a bunch of individuals there. And, uh, and over time, we had to pull those, those pieces of that puzzle together. But what we realized as well is people just had to connect with each other. And this was the lesson for me where I just saw it demonstrated that human beings were wired for connection. And, and as leaders, we didn't have to come up with these extravagant team building activities and things to do to get our staff to connect. We simply had to create a space and environment for them to be humans, just to get to know each other. Um, and so, so we did some practical things by overhauling our meeting structure, creating space and time for people just to be with each other. And it's amazing how actually simplifying things leads to uh, people connecting with one another. And that really built our culture to what it is today. So, um, yeah, so, so being intentional is absolutely key. Creating the opportunity and the space and the, the environment for people to connect is critical. But then also some practical things, just thinking about, you know, right, who have I not connected with? And it's, it's not a long conversation. It's just a touch point. Hey, how's it going? What can I help you with today? Um, encouraging them on an email, buying someone a coffee. Uh, if you see someone who's being a little down, you know, it's, it's pretty, you know, easy to spot that if you're looking for it, right? You, you might, might not be appropriate to go and speak to them straight away. But maybe later on, you can say, hey, I saw you a little bit down today. Is there anything I can help with? And just showing that you're there for people, that's, that's so important. I think, I think what you're describing, Mike, is almost like a very good salesperson. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I know you talk about that in your book, that everybody's selling something. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit more for us, please? So, so I think salespeople, absolutely, especially good salespeople, understand emotional connection. Um, because someone will always buy the house, the car, whatever it might be, when there's an emotional connection. Now, I would argue that your traditional salesperson is manipulating that for their financial gain. <laughs> I suppose as a salesman, right? So they're doing their job. Um, what, what you're doing by, by building rapport is really for everyone's ultimate gain. You want that person to thrive. You want your organiza organization to thrive. So, so look, absolutely. But um, what I speak about in the book is is that you're right. We are all selling something at the end of the day, right? If you're a teacher in the classroom, you are selling your maths lesson to your students who are in front of you, right? Um, if you're a school leader uh, or if you, you're an educator and you're going for an interview at another school, you are selling yourself to that school. So, so it's actually important to think of, of those situations like that. And then if you had to simplify it and break it down, okay, well, well, if you wanted to sell yourself, let's use the interview example, right? It's the end of the academic year. I'm sure some people are going through that. What would you want the other person interviewing you to know about you? And what are those things that you want them to say, you know, we need that person because 
ABC, whatever it might be. So understanding that, um, and then once again, regulating your behavior and how you uh, carry yourself to be able to portray those good things, those qualities, those skills that you have is so, so important. I, I feel just taking it back on us, you know, many people go through life sort of by default, right? So, so we're going through our work situations with absolutely uh, complete unawareness of how we connect with other people, how other people perceive us, um, how, how we build connections with people. It's just sort of, we'll just go by default. We're just sort of going. Um, but when we have that awareness that actually we can control these things, we can control how people perceive us, we can control and regulate our actions towards others so that our interactions are positive and we establish a connection, I think people thrive and succeed. Um, and that's across all sectors of society, not just education. Yeah, I, I fully agree with the, the, the perception. And can we just take it into recruitment? Because you're talking there about the person trying to get a job. What mm. about us guys that are trying to recruit high quality staff? How yeah. could we mold that process to make it more about the person rather than the pedagogy? Because yeah. we presume that teachers can teach. You've got a qualification. Everybody's got a qualification. How could yeah. we really get to know the person? Because really, it's yeah. the person we're employing, not the teacher. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's how you structure it, right? So, um, and how you filter your your recruitment. So generally, if if we were if we filter our recruitment effectively, the the people who are shortlisted for positions should all be well qualified and should all have however many years of experience we're looking for, right? So, uh, and if they've got good references, we know they can teach. So that's that's not um, you know that's not debatable. They can teach. They got good references. Um, they they qualify. They're experienced, right? And and if we have to, we can still teach them more. Curriculum can be learned. Um, so what I always, how I approach an interview is I'm looking 100% for how that person is going to fit into our team and the connection uh, that they're going to have. Um, because if they can't build a connection with people, their students, their colleagues, but yet they're amazing, you know, with curriculum, I, I still don't want them to be quite honest because they're not going to be a fit. So, uh, so I think we have to um, structure it that way. Now, when I approach interviews, uh, like I said, I'm just looking for those emotional connections. So sure, I'm going to ask questions about curriculum. I'm going to ask about teaching and learning and assessment and differentiation. But I'm also going to just, while that person is asking, answering those questions, I'm going to be listening to the way they speak, the way they speak about their colleagues, the way they speak about their previous school. And just this is where the emotions come in, right? And I'm, I'm trusting my gut and my intuition to tell me, this person's either a team player or they're not, you know, this person's either going to fit in or they're not. And, and when we have that approach and, and remove, not, not completely, but we sort of take our cognitive processes away and we just try and feel the person out, right. And how they're going to connect with our community. I, I find more often than not, you make a great hire as opposed to a, a challenging hire. Now, it's not foolproof, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, but I think we, we, we must never purely just employ people because of their competency. We have to employ them because of their team nature and their ability to connect with others. You know, in international schools, it's pretty tough because most of the interviews are done like this, uh, unless they're at a job fair or they're in country. So it is challenging for sure. Um, 
but but it's it's just sort of taking time to really listen and and feel the person out and then just say okay well what what am i feeling about this person what does my gut say any really good questions there mike that could really get into that you know like there's always a standard stock set of questions that your school or your organization have how yeah. could we go a little bit deeper what would be what would really get into find out what the what they're about as a human yeah you know, each interview is different, and I, I try not uh, use too many stock questions, although you'll often start off with those. But I like to approach questions in the interview, you know, fairly broad at the top. But then as the person's answering and giving examples, that's when I drill down. And, and then you really get into the nitty gritty of what's happening. Um, I ask people, you know, point blank, how do you build a connection with your students? And because if you can't build a connection with your students, or if you give me, you know, answers that really I can sense you're not really intentional about it, but you sort of just do one or two activities, that tells me you, you haven't quite got an awareness yet that, that your connection with your students is critical. Um, so, so I think just asking people point blank those questions, how do you build a connection with your students? Um, what does team planning look like for you? That's often a good question that I ask. Um, and, and people who are by nature looking to connect with others will often, when it comes to team, team planning, especially educators, will speak a lot about how they plan collaboratively and, and how they work together. Um, some other people will give a fairly standard response in terms of how many days a week they do it. And it might come across as a little bit of a chore rather than something they want to do. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I know planning meetings, right? But, but it's, uh, it tells you a bit more about their approach. So I think being quite direct is, is good. Um, I, I like to also put people under a bit of pressure in interviews um, by asking some very direct questions, depending on the, how the interview is going, and really just seeing how they, how they cope with that. Um, not to try and be mean, but, but to see how they're going to respond. Do they respond in a manner that is still open to learn, to grow, and to you know, put your hand up if, if they haven't got the answer? Um, or, or do they just keep getting the standard uh, responses every time? I like, I like that idea of just putting your hand up and saying, listen, I'm, I'm not quite sure about that, but I'm willing to learn. And it, it comes back to what you mentioned earlier about self-awareness. And, and as you were talking there about recruitment, you know, I'm considering the, the teacher that personally I was and that I've seen in interviews many a time that, that you know, might have had two or three years experience and has some really wonderful ideas, but really hasn't maybe got that self-awareness yet of understanding exactly who they are and what they're trying to do going forward. What are you looking for? I think you've touched upon it there with, with a little bit of humility, but what are you looking for in those people where you're like, you know what, you've got a lot of potential and I can work with that and I feel like I can, I can really add some value as opposed to, you know, you, you're not where you are and you, you're not particularly self-aware and actually I'm, I'm going to leave that one. You know, mm. Where do you draw that line? What are the differences that you're looking for there? Yeah, so, so I think just to touch on your earlier point, the humility factor is so important. And I don't think there's anything wrong in an interview to, you know, putting your hand up or just saying, you know what, I, I don't actually know that or, um, you, you know, I'm not too confident to share that. I would rather actually have someone who does that to someone who just makes it up on the spot and, and we can all tell that they're making it up on the spot. So, so I, I think honesty and authenticity is, is so critical because ultimately you're employing, you know, as you said, Alan, you're employing the person, right? And you want that person to operate with integrity and authenticity and have a genuine care for all stakeholders in the community. 
um, you, you're not employing them as a math teacher or as a PE teacher. And sort of flipping it and seeing it a different way is, is really important. But look, yeah, to your point about the, the sort of fairly new teacher um, who, who's coming in um, and maybe hasn't, you know, had that awareness, those years of experience that, you know, there's, there's so much more to working in a school community than simply the delivery of curriculum. For me, it's the manner in which they, they articulate themselves. Um, you know, even if you haven't come to a full awareness of, of who you are, how you operate, um, and awareness of this, you know, growing need to build connections, there's still a manner in how you communicate and how you carry yourself, which will tell people that you've got the potential or you're open, you're open to building connections with others. So, so I, look, uh, I look at that, you know, and how they're talking. Now, it's hard with, on, on Zoom um, because often this is communicated non-verbally, um, how someone's sitting, how they respond to a question. Um, you know, when you, when you speak about a certain thing, you know, it's quite an interesting little um, activity that you could always do. If you, and I actually did this with a grade 11 class um, a few weeks ago now when, uh, when they asked me to come up, but I asked them, I did a little body language uh, activity with them. So I sent two kids out the classroom and I brought one child in and I said to him, it was a small class. I said, okay, what I want you to do now, I want you just to tell us. Just be honest. You know, it's a safe space. Tell us about a, a terrible time in your life. Just a time that was, that was really hard for you. And he started speaking and, uh, and, and obviously told the class about this. And then I had him sit down. And then I brought in the, the other girl and I said, right, tell me about a, a really exciting, happy, awesome time in your life. And, um, you know, and she did. Now, prior to them leaving the classroom, I'd asked everyone else in the class to observe their body language. And how when they're simply communicating about a tragic event in their life or a really happy time, how it influences their body. And it was chalk and cheese. Um, and that was just a simple activity, right? Um, and that just shows once again how your emotional state is expressed physically. So someone sitting in an interview um, who is maybe answering questions or they're very closed physically and their answers are very short and the manner in which they're communicating is not conducive to really building connections, I would avoid. But, um, but many of the younger teachers who I've met, they, they're amazing and they, they're coming to learn, to grow, they want to connect with people. Um, it, it is, it's, it's, if you think about millennials as a generation, they, they seek out connection, right? They, they, you know, that's why they just want to be around people. Um, so they naturally are, um, you know, seeking out community, but also sometimes extremely individualist, individualistic. So, um, knowing that's important, but yeah, I would say that's a long answer, but I would say, um, just the manner in which they answer those questions will tell you a lot more about them and who they could develop into. Yeah. Like you were saying earlier, it's developing that feel for the person. Yeah. And use, using that intuition and not, not trying to overanalyze it too much, but just asking those questions of, do they fit in and they a good person? Yeah, definitely. It, it's so hard to get it right though, isn't it, Mark? It really is. It, and you talk about in your book about if it goes wrong, you're going to end up with either a toxic culture in your school, and that's not something that you want, or, or in any organisation. So can we just explore that positive and toxic culture and what they look like? And then maybe as a follow-up, we can look at some strategies for, for improving culture in any organisations. Yeah. So organizational culture or school culture is something I'm, I'm really passionate about and something I'm learning about. I'm, I'm also by no means an expert on it. Um, but 
the, what's important to realize is every single school has a culture already, right? So, so for the listeners out there, your school's got a culture. And I believe that culture can be defined by the daily interactions of all stakeholders. So if you are walking through the corridors or you're walking in the playground and you're seeing people naturally connect with each other positively, um, you know, if you're seeing people laughing, engaging, doing things outside of school together, that's evidence that there is a good connection taking place and, and your school culture is positive. Now, we know that a positive school culture is critical for student success. Uh, I mean, no one can show me a, a school in the world that has high student academic standards and an absolute toxic culture. So people aren't even connecting with each other. There's just no one wants to be there. It just simply doesn't happen. So creating the school culture should be the leader's absolute priority. Number one goal is to create the culture. Like I said earlier, the curriculum people can learn. All that stuff can come later. But if a culture is wrong, we're all dead in the water. So, so you know, when I ever walk into a new school or a different school, I always look at how people are interacting. I, I kind of do it always. That's sort of my little <laughs> passion in life, I think. But in a school particularly, so I, I would walk in and I'd just observe, okay, how do people connect? How does the head of school, the leader, interact with the staff, with the parent community, with the students? Because those things all paint the picture for what your school culture is. Now, it's absolutely important to have a positive school culture or to be building towards this positive school culture. Um, like I said, when, when I started our current school, um, it's a vastly different school to what it is now where there's an exceptional staff culture and, and really people are absolutely committed. But when we started, just because of what it was, it was such a new school, everyone was dumped together and, and we had to figure this thing out and try and work it out. What happened was people would work within their own silos. Um, and, and there was a, a fear culture. People wouldn't really trust each other because as a school, we hadn't been intentional about building connections with each other. We've been so focused on getting the school up and running, getting the curriculum working, getting everything happening. We actually had missed out the most important piece. And so what, what happened was there was a lot of infighting. People wouldn't trust each other. People wouldn't even talk to each other. They, they would email each other and, and just completely avoid any physical interaction. Um, and, and that, for me, defined a toxic school culture, and, and it has to be radically addressed. And so, as I mentioned earlier, what we did was just be intentional about creating opportunities for people to connect with each other. Now, there were some people who, who weren't a fit for the school, and, and they were, had to be moved on over several years. And we had to recruit really good people who were committed and wanting to grow and build our school community. So it wasn't an overnight thing. I think it was about four or five years it took us to really get into a position where we felt okay we, we are, are really strong um so yeah so it, it's it's critical if we go back to awareness that's where it starts so we have to be aware of what our, our school culture is right is like right now um and to quickly define that we just take a look at the interactions of all the staff members there's a lot of takeaways there love love that fact that you can go and observe and just watch the interactions it's not necessarily about structures and procedures. It's purely humanistic yeah. factors that define the culture. Yeah, absolutely. So I think your structures and procedures can come as a response. So you might have to change some things as a school, and that could be a structural change, a policy change, something like that. But, but that's secondary, and that can support your school culture. Your, your school culture is your, your relationships or are your relationships day in, day out. 
so you had a chance there to build a new culture. What about those people that are in toxic cultures? How do you go about changing that? Because that that's something that's established. There'll be institutional norms that you've got to try and readdress. What's what's a real just easy starting point there, Mike? So it's it's never easy, um, and you know, if, if the leader at the top or the senior leadership team aren't on board or, or if they're happy with the status quo, it's exceptionally hard to change the whole school culture because it really has to start at the top and it has to be intentional from the top. But if you find yourself as an educator um, in the school, um, let's say it's a toxic culture, and let's just say, for example, you know, your, your management team and leadership team and most of the school, they're actually just happy with how it is. I, I would doubt that, but let's say that you can still have an influence on your sphere of influence. So I would say you, if you had to look at your grade level teaching team, your specialist teaching team, you can have a positive influence on them, which can spread. And so as a minor community within a larger community, you can still have an influence. You're not in a position which lacks power. So um, I, I would say exactly the things I mentioned in the book and that we said earlier start to take interest in other people, start to build connections. It's simple things like morning greetings, you know, asking people how they're doing, asking, getting to know people outside of school. Um, those small little steps, buying someone a coffee here or there, and just, just being vulnerable and honest with someone with where you're at, they can just unlock the key to, to a connection with a small group. And who knows, that could spread, you know, even wider. But, um, but you can absolutely make a, an influence. It's exceptionally hard to change it for the whole school. And I would question if you could, but you can definitely make your life a lot easier with a team that you work with every single day. Um, <laughs> and I would also challenge the, the, the leadership team. You know, often their hands are tied by, by investors or owners or, or corporations above them. But, but to really challenge them and say, okay, well, where is our school culture? You know, what, what do you believe? Uh, where do you believe our school culture is at currently? And what can we do? Because I, I doubt there's any educator or lead in a school who doesn't want his or her school to succeed, right? We all do. But sometimes people just don't have an awareness that the culture component is absolutely vital and, and critical to that. You, you mentioned earlier um, about how, you know, this isn't a one-size-fits-all sort of approach, you know, and sometimes this doesn't work. You know, I'm looking down the, the list of the, the things you mentioned there around taking interest in other people's uh, business and in other people's lives. You've talked about building connections, knowing them outside school in a, in a school sort of environment, of course, being honest, being vulnerable. How far do you go when those things really maybe not, maybe they're not getting you anywhere. They're not getting you to where you want to go. Um, how, how do you start to understand where that line is between treading on people's toes and annoying them? Um, and, you know, and, and genuinely just trying to care and make yeah. a connection. So I think we have to admit it's impossible to have a deep um, sense of rapport or emotional connection with everyone. Uh, th that'll never happen. Right. But we can have, um, depending on the, you know, um, degree of it, we can have a connection with every human being, but it won't be at the same level. Um, you know, depending on those commonalities that you can identify, you will, you will more than likely have a deeper connection with people who come from your home country as an international educator than you will with other people, because there's already a deep-seated emotional connection there that you're really just capitalizing on and building upon. So um, I, I think, you know, 
it's important to never stop because that also speaks to consistency. So, so you know, I haven't got a deep connection with all of our faculty members. I would argue maybe I've got with most, but but not with all. Um, but but I'm still not going to stop trying, and, and just um, because that's part of who I am, and I think that's that's part of, of what we should be doing. So I'm not going to go out of my way to do anything extravagant, but I, but I don't do that for anyone. It's just small little drop-ins. Hey, how are you doing today? Is there anything I can help with? Um, you know, small little things we can do to build that connection. And it's going to look different for everyone. You know, when we were building our um, school culture, one thing we realized, you know, we had these great teachers, but we didn't know anything about each other. So I don't know where you came from. I don't know your, your background. If you've got any brothers or sisters, I don't know anything about you. So how can we force or expect people to be able to, collaborate on curriculum matters and on assessment matters when they don't even really know each other. So that was the foundation of how we started when we just created that space for people to connect with each other was just to get to know each other and, and really learn a little bit about each other because then the, the connection moving forward into work matters is going to be so much more authentic. So yeah, look, you, you can't beat yourself up as well. Um, if, if you put effort in and someone just doesn't, um, you know, uh, respond in the manner that you want them to respond, or it's just becoming pretty mechanical and, and it's not really working. Hey, that's life. And I think it happens, but I would argue that, that you don't stop. You just, that's who you are and that, and you just keep being intentional because often the way that someone would respond is an indication of where they are at. It's not an indication of where you're at. So if they're responding in a manner which is, you know, closed, shut down, you know, not opening up, it might be because they're dealing with something or there's some other challenges in their life. And, and maybe even by you reaching out to them regularly to build a connection, it is having an impact on them. But from your perspective, oh man, they're not responding the way everyone else is responding. So I'm not winning here. So, so I would keep going, you, you know, um, one, one of the uh, very important strategy, you know, um, just thinking about it now when you're talking and I say it in the book is, is understanding people's names and, and using people's names to address them um, because that automatically puts um, value on the person. And I find in life, we, we often go through life um, with the excuse of, yeah, I'm not very good at names. Right. Um, but I believe we have the ability to remember, you know, a lot of people's names, um, but we keep sort of telling ourselves, oh, we're not good at names, not good at names, you know, I won't call the person by their name. Um, and there, there's nothing more powerful, I believe, than when you meet someone, you, you remember their name, and then maybe a couple of weeks later, you see them again, and you address them by their first name. And I've seen that personally, um, you know, when I've, you know, met someone, a parent at our school, whatever it is, and, and sometimes even it's been months, you know, before or in between when I met them last and to use their first name it's like deer in the headlights you know ah you remembered me yeah because there's value I place value on you and I think we can it's a skill to remember people's names it's something I'm getting better at I'm, I'm not an expert by any means but it's so so important and I'll tell you the story in uh, in my book um, that really drove home this the importance of this I was um, volunteering at a prison in, uh, in Cape Town. Uh, I was offering or running uh, football academies there. And, uh, and I had kind of by chance met someone who was, you know, working in the prison. And I want you to just imagine an African prison, right? Polesmore prison in Cape Town, gangsterism through the roof, 
disease, yeah, violence, uh, just a, a, a terrible environment in which to be in. And so I was uh, working in the juvenile section um, of which there were, I think that the cell originally was designed, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it, but it was 400% you know, over capacity. Uh, it, it reeked of, of drugs and it was just completely dominated by the gangs. And uh, so I would go in there once a week and I would run football academies or rugby camps and just try and, and offer these kids something different, right, that, uh, that they haven't perhaps experienced. Uh, I was very aware that I was the white guy, you know, from the suburbs coming into a, a prison, which was largely, you know, African black guys from the, the township. So there was zero connection at the start. And they were looking at me, who's this guy coming in here trying to, you know, teach us what's going on. So, so I knew I had to build a connection. Now you can imagine as well, they, they've got African names. So Kosa names or Zulu names. Um, and there's, you know, 80 to hundred guys in a cell. Um, and anyway, so I would just, you know, I wouldn't call their name. I was like, Hey, come over here or Hey, you know, whatever, come over here. And, um, you know, then it was it was actually the uh, one of the the counselors, an employee of the prison. You know, she said to me because she saw me struggling with the guys' names, and then almost just giving up when I would refer to them. And she said to me, she looked me dead in my eyes and said, "You know, Mike, their name is all they have in here because other than their name, they're just a number and a statistic." You know, and man, that hit me like an absolute ton of bricks. And it's so so true. That when you when you call someone by their name, even in a simple morning greeting, it, 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 it places value upon them. It shows I've taken the time to learn your name, pronounce your name, and say it. Um, and it, it makes such a difference. So, so it's a skill, something to learn on and something to be intentional about, because that alone will, will um, more than you would think would, would create such a connection. Yeah, love that, Mike. We're gonna we're gonna wind it down. We've got a few fun questions just to finish off, like we normally do. Um, we've got three world leaders, could be dead or alive, Mike. Which ones would you like to take on a dinner date with you and have a good chat? Wow, three. Okay. Yeah. Uh, world, and it could be world leaders, right? Yeah. Any any anybody you want, really. But okay, any leader. I would say Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, Nelson Mandela and who else? Uh, go on, Sir Alex Ferguson. Oh, what do you think? How do you think that conversation would go between those three? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the first time uh, Arnie's made it onto anybody's list, Alan, isn't it? Really? Nelson Mandela, quite often, to be fair. Yeah, but Fergie's up there, he's every. Every three or four episodes, there's a three oh, really? thrown out. But Arnold, tell us a story with Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're just a big Terminator fan, or do you follow politics <laughs> in California? What's the crap? Yeah. Well, I I, uh, I enjoyed bodybuilding when I was growing up, believe it or not. And, uh, you know, I just think, if you think about Arnold, if you've read his story, right, he's, uh, he came from the absolute forest in Austria, all right? And, uh, and for someone there in those times... To be able to make it to be governor of a state in the United States, uh, significantly influential, successful in both politics as well as um, entertainment, from the from where he came from, I just think it's an incredible story. You know how how he he had a dream, he chased it, 
but you'd also how that dream evolved. So initially you wanted to be the, you know, Mr. Olympia, the traditional California bodybuilder, right? And he came over, but then that evolved. And, and then he sort of got into entertainment and into politics. I mean, I think he's a pretty funny character anyway, but um, I'm just amazed at the story. You know, I mean, you think about Mandela as well. It's an incredible story, you know, where he came from, what he went through and then what he achieved. And I suppose you could argue with Fergie as well, you know, what, what he ultimately achieved. So, yeah, I, I, I like that. I like seeing people who, you know, often up against it, but you're committed to a dream, committed to something they want to work towards and then uh, chasing it with everything. Yeah, his commitment was something else, Arnold. I, I read his book, Total Recall, his autobiography, right? And um, Yeah, yeah. One of the bits that stood out for me when he came over from Austria and he went through the bodybuilding stuff, and obviously that in itself was quite an incredible achievement and so much dedication. But then he, he, the language lessons he took for his acting right. and how he used to spend yeah. so long on the pronunciations of things, I was like, whoa, like he, you really got yeah. that message that he went that extra mile and he, he just didn't want to sit still. He always wanted a better life. And he, he you know, he, he talks a lot to me about looking after his mum. Yeah, that's um, right. Book yeah. As well. yeah, really cool. Um, what, what are you reading at the minute, Micah? Segways us nicely into that question. Yeah, well, I, I kind of read <laughs> quite a few books at the moment. Um, one book I'm reading at the moment is uh, called Startup Nation. I'm not sure if you've uh, heard of it, but it's, uh, it's an interesting book. It was recommended to me, um, and it really speaks about uh, Israel. And, um, and if you look at the startup companies that are coming out of Israel, which is significantly higher as a proportion compared to other countries around the world. Now, one of the reasons that got me interested in that is because in the book, they compare Singapore to Israel, you know, countries of a similar size, um, similar age, um, but obviously vastly different challenges, especially now in the world. Um, but um, yeah, it's just quite interesting to see how, and when you look at especially technology companies, how they would all have you know, some connection to Israel. And I don't know, a lot of what they speak about is, uh, is maybe through their con you know, military service, how it comes through. Anyway, look, it's a, it's a controversial topic at the moment, because I know, you know, things in the Middle East are, are quite horrific. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting book, though, just to, to look at that and learn and to, to get an insight into the culture of, uh, of what causes people to be entrepreneurial, um, and really to be, yeah, uh, wanting to grow, wanting to learn and, and develop something. So interesting book. As a last one from us, Mike. Um, if you had a billboard and, and you were allowed to write one thing on the billboard, what would your billboard say? Uh, wow. Uh, give Mike a million bucks. Has <laughs> <laughs> the book not sold that many then, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I don't know. Good question. You stumped me on that one. <laughs> It's a, it's a funny we've, we've got a few sort of uh, little comments and quotes throughout this episode, haven't we, about being intentional. Yeah. Look, I think, um, you know, and, that, that's what it comes down to. If you have to simplify human connections um, and rapport and, and just, you know, um, being successful in life, to be quite honest, it's about establishing connections. It's about building with people. And you can't do that by default. It's an intentional action that you have to work towards. So um, I, I, I have no doubt, no matter what sector of society you work in, even in your personal life, if you have developed the ability and the skills to connect with people authentically, you will be successful. Um, and hands down, I, I really believe that. 
So you put that on the bubble. Tell, <laughs> tell, tell our viewers and listeners where they can find your book. Yeah, online. so um, it's available on Amazon. Actually, most uh, good online bookstores, it's available all over the world, actually. Um, yeah, can be can be purchased and delivered. I've got some ebooks as well. Uh, I've got a website, thepowerreport.com. You can go there to get with my blog and learn a little bit more about me and the book. Um, I would love to hear feedback if you've read the book or if you just got some thoughts, please do get in touch. Um, yeah, it'll be really awesome. Uh, LinkedIn, I use quite a lot. If you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, that'll be great. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with, with anyone out there who just wants to learn more. Like I said a few times, I'm by no means an expert, but uh, this is definitely an area that I'm passionate about and, and I'm continually learning about. So um yeah it's been it's been great to chat I've, I've really appreciated it so thank you guys it's been great to have you on mike and if you listen carefully to mike there he said it's all good bookshops and if the bookshop hasn't got it then you know what category to file <laughs> have a word and build some rapport mike thanks a lot for your time really really enjoyed listening to you and your thoughts about building rapport and looking forward to, to experimenting and trying a few of those cool. myself. thanks liz thanks ellen For listening to Sensemakers, brought to you by the Infinite Learners podcast and backed by Tsunami, the number one ego kit provider for schools worldwide. You can learn more about Tsunami by, by visiting tsunami-sport.com. And if you want to hear more from the Infinite Learners, you can find us on your favorite podcast platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Until next time, we'll see you.